But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us (laughs) according to the measure of Christ's gift. I am so grateful, by the way, I want to pause for a second in, in reading God's word. Thank you. Um, you may wonder, we are a loud church at times, and, and babies cry, and, and we are glad that moms and babies um, can be heard, because you know what? That means that they're here trying to hear the word, and they're here trying to care for their kids, and train them up in the way they should go, so we never get freaked out by loud noises here, okay? So just want to remind you of that. It's okay. We can kind of roll in stride with all of that. So let's go back to Ephesians 4, 7, and, and hear from God's word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended the lower parts of the earth? He all, who also descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come to you and we desire to be a church body that loves you first and foremost. We desire to grow as a body in the unity of the faith. We desire to grow in our, in our personal and corporate knowledge of you Jesus Christ, the Son. We want to be a church body that's mature and continuing to grow in maturity. We pray that we would not be swayed by the various winds of doctrine that are blowing all around us. God, please keep us in the truth. Your word is truth. And God, please cause us to grow as we build each other up in love. We desperately need you for these things. We need to hear you speak to us this morning. I need you personally this morning. We need your Holy Spirit. We need the gifts that you give to us. We need you to ignite our hearts and change us by your grace. And we ask in faith that you would do those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well... When General Alan Dulles, no, he didn't just build an airport. He, he was a general in World War II, and after World War II, he commissioned the building of the Central Intelligence Agency headquarters. 
And he made sure that their central mission of the CIA was etched on the marble wall in the entrance. As soon as you come in the entrance and letters about that high in the entrance to the right-hand side was the CIA's central mission. And it really became the unofficial motto of the CIA and, and still remains that today. It served as a motto since 1947. And the fact that the core mission, the motto of the CIA, it's, it's emblazoned on the wall in stone. That's not unheard of. It's not unusual for big government organizations to plaster what they believe up on the walls. It's not unusual for, for corporations to, to put up what's their mission, what's their motto, and, and have that feature prominently. It's not surprising. But what is surprising is what the letters say. They aren't classified, by the way. They're not secretive. I can tell you what they say. They aren't unique in one sense. But they're a little surprising when, when you see what it says on, on the wall. And, and I remember first walking in and seeing them. Whoa, oh my goodness, what in the world? You see, it's carved prominently in that marble entrance wall. It's a partial quote from the Bible. It's John eight thirty two, And the motto says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it even is attributed John 8, 32, right on the wall. One of the, one of the CIA's own historians, historians said that Dulles was giving expression to an article of faith in the intelligence profession. He said, we must believe that knowledge of the truth sustains and supports our government. Or we couldn't justify what we're doing. The problem is, that verse is taken out of context. And, and so the good principle of telling the truth, it, it falls short. You see, as, as needful as knowing the truth is to the CIA, they miss the real point. You see, the, the whole verse is not just about knowing the truth in general. Jesus wasn't saying, if you know the truth generally, then that truth, that general truth, will set you free. What he was saying is, if you know me, if you know me in my word. And so I want to, I want to read that, that passage in John 8, 31 and 32. You don't have to turn there, but just listen closely. And it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the truth is not to ever be disconnected from who Jesus is and abiding in Him and abiding in His Word. And so, knowing the truth apart from knowing Christ, knowing the truth apart from knowing and abiding in His Word, there's no freedom. But it's as we abide in Him, as we know the truth of Jesus Christ, that the truth will set us free. See, this truth that is spoken of in John... And that's spoken of here in Ephesians, it's the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word revealed that centers on Jesus Christ, the, the word of God that shows the need for Jesus. And the entire Bible, it shows in the beginning, beforehand, it shows the need for Jesus. And, and then it shows that Jesus has come to fulfill man's greatest need. And then the rest of the Bible is about Jesus returning. See, the entire Bible, all of His Word is truth, and it's all truth about who Jesus is. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As individual Christians, we do need to be set free, don't we? But as we've seen in Ephesians, God didn't just save us as individuals on our own. He saved us to the church. He saved us to a body. He saved us to be a part of His 
people. And he saved us to be a part of his people and to know the truth as we relate to each other and to speak the truth to each other, to share the truth to each other. And as, as we're sharing and speaking the truth to each other, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of God's word, that's when we're built up. That's when we grow. You see, in order to fulfill the purpose that we've been called, called to as a church, we have to grow and we have to become mature. And these verses, Paul is saying that um, we shouldn't be children any longer. We shouldn't be children any longer. We need to grow up. We need to become mature. And then he tells us how that occurs. And the main thing I think the Lord would have us focus on this morning from our text this is the, the second part, like I mentioned earlier in the message, is that is the how we make the body grow. So if these verses are all about how each member does its part and, and the body is meant to be growing up in love, but growing up and building itself up, how does that occur? How do we carry out our mission with each one of us doing the work of the ministry? And so the main idea that we're going to look at this morning is that we need to be a body that speaks the truth in love in order to grow as God intends. We, we need... You and I, this body, we need to be a body that speaks the truth in love in order to grow as God intends. You see, we live in a world that's, that's constantly telling us lies. We, we live in a world that we're constantly served up lies about who God is, lies about who we are, lies about why He's put us here on this earth. We're told that we have to look out for number one. We're told to live for ourselves and our main purpose is to get as much out of life as we can because tomorrow we all die. So eat, drink and be merry. We're told that truth is relative. What's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me. But don't you dare try to tell me your truth. That's what the culture, the, the world around us says. There's so many wrong teachings out there that at times it can feel like you're, you're caught up in a maelstrom, a, a massive windstorm of, of contrary teaching and doctrine that tries to convince us and sway us away from the truth. And it's all we can do just to stand there and not be blown all over the place. The Apostle Paul, God, was aware of that same spirit of lies, if you will, that existed back in Paul's day. That exists today in, in the here and now. You see, this is not a new thing. It's not a new thing when we're, when we're faced with so many false teachings about who Jesus is, who God is, who we are. And we need the truth of God. And so God knows that to grow, we need the truth in our lives. That's the first point we're going to focus on this morning is that God knows that to grow, we need the truth in our lives, but not just the generic truth. This is the truth about who Jesus is, the truth about His Word, and about who we are in Him. God knows that people need the truth of who He is if in order for us to grow. We need to know the truth of what unites us in faith and the truth of the knowledge of the Son of God, as it says in this passage, for to fulfill the mission that He's called us to. You know, a child can't carry out a mission successfully. You know, we just saw in the news yesterday about how SEAL Team 6 has carried another two missions out. And, and there's no way that a child could go on, on a mission like that and carry out their mission successfully. As a church, we're called to a mission. 
We're called to make God known. We're called to make His purposes known. As a church, we're called to reveal the mystery of who God is to a watching world. We're called to grow in Him. But there's no way we can do that if we remain childlike and immature. Now, Jesus said have a childlike faith, but I'm not talking about that. And Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about being childish, not being mature. We need to grow to be a mature man in order to successfully carry out the mission of the church. But there's some barriers to us growing, aren't there? If you look in verse 14, he talks about some of these barriers. He says, so that we may no longer be children. So he talks about some of these barriers tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the barriers we have to growth are the winds of doctrine are blowing. Human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes assault us and assail us. We're not always meant to be children in the faith. We're meant to be growing constantly. We leave behind immaturity. We leave behind instability. And so how do we do that? God knows we need to grow. We need the truth to grow. But our growth is not isolated. Our growth in the unity of the faith and the growth in the Son of knowledge of the Son of God, it takes place in, in a world that's absolutely hostile to us growing in the knowledge of God. We're constantly being bombarded by different kinds or or false teachings, different winds of doctrine, different kinds of teachings that stand against the unity of the faith. I want you to think critically. We need to think critically as a church. We need to bring the the, the truth of God's word to bear in how we live our lives and the information we take in, how we process things. Even people who are seemingly carrying the truth, but really are not. A month or so ago, the Catholic Pope Francis, he said, first of all, I'm quoting from him. He says, first of all, you ask if the God of the Christians forgives those, listen carefully, who do not believe and do not seek faith. Given that, and this is fundamental, God's mercy has no limits. If he who asks for mercy does so in contrition and with sincere heart, the issue for those who do not believe in God is they're obeying their own conscience. Did you catch that? The issue is not in repenting. It's not believing in Jesus Christ, but it's in obeying their own conscience. And he goes on to say, in fact, listening and obeying it, their own conscience, means deciding about what is perceived to be good or evil. The goodness or the wickedness of our behavior depends on this decision about obeying our conscience. All around us, we have subtle falsehood. You know, the, the press has become really enamored with this, this the new pope because he seems to be very inclusive. The problem is it's not biblical. We need to bring the truth of God's word to our lives and what we hear and what we receive and what we listen to. In Romans 3.10, it says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Did you get that? No one is righteous. That means not you or I are righteous on our own. Nobody here. We can't say we're better than anybody else. And if you're, you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're here this morning, you're wondering, what does people believe? Here's what we believe. We're, we're all unrighteous on our own. We're not better than you. Nobody understands. Nobody seeks for God. None of us did. But if you're here, just like we are, it means God's seeking you. It says, all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then in Romans 3.21, it 
He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So nothing to do with our works or our abilities to keep the law. He says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we receive his righteousness. That's how we're accepted by God. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, no matter what your background is, no matter where you come from, no matter what you call yourself right now. There's no distinction. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the good news and are justified by his grace. As a gift. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All of us come to God by being redeemed in Christ Jesus. By placing our faith in him. When we encounter different doctrines around us, different winds of doctrine that seem to be blowing. We need to bring the truth of God to bear like this on those things and, and speak the truth and inform our own selves, but also help speaking the truth to each other so that we're not misled, not tossed about. We have to know the truth of the gospel if we want to be mature. Otherwise, it's going to be easy to be persuaded. I mean, sorry, sorry, by, be persuaded by a personable pope. Or by a convincing co-worker or someone else around you who speaks with authority. We have to know the Son of God if we're to guard against being carried away by popular doctrines that, that lead us away from God into all kinds of errors. And Paul was concerned about this, not just for the Ephesian church, but this was a theme throughout Paul's letters. And in 2 Corinthians 11, we see, he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, it's the same word that we have in Ephesians, Carried away by cunning. So Paul's saying that the serpent deceived Eve by cunning. So we need to be careful that we're not deceived by cunning in the same way. He says, the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. I'm concerned that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We need the truth to grow. So that we're not led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, the devil's always, he's always trying to convince us. That what God says is not true. To cause us to doubt, to be unstable, to believe that we're all alone. That God doesn't really care about you. That God doesn't really love you. That He doesn't want your best. And all these doubts will toss us around and make us unstable if, if we don't have the truth of who God is and who we are and the truth about Jesus. If we're not being rooted and grounded firmly in that truth. A few years ago, a teaching became popular that says that God doesn't know the future. He doesn't know what humans are going to decide in advance. It's called open theism. And it's, it's a heretical idea that came really from good intentions to, to make God seem more fair. That those who don't think that it's, it's right or good that God elects and chooses, the Bible says that He does, and they wrestle with that because it is a hard teaching. The problem is, it's contrary to the biblical teaching, the sovereignty of the God and the fact that God does know the future and he holds us and everything that will be and ever has been is in the divine control of God. We need to apply the truth of his word in order to grow. And we're facing difficulties and challenges and, and situations where we're unstable. We're feeling like, I, I don't understand we need the truth of God's word to help us grow. 
The idea of open theism is not the truth defining our belief, it's the culture defining our belief. We need the truth of God's word, though, in order to grow. If we can't evaluate teaching as contrary to the truth, church, we're going to easily fall prey to new theological teachings. We won't grow up into him who's the truth. We need to apply ourselves to to speaking, to knowing the truth in order to grow the truth of who Jesus is and the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the faith. You see, Paul knew what it was to be a man who was tossed about by storms, didn't he? How many times was he shipwrecked? He he knew what it meant to be in in a ship on raging seas. And he he knew what it looked like and felt like. He knew what it was like to be in the midst of storms being tossed and for the ship to be pulled apart. He knew what it was like to be tossed about in the waves. And so he applies that same kind of metaphor to the church and says, I don't want you to be tossed about in the waves. By every wind of doctrine that blows and be tossed to and fro where it's going to shipwreck your faith. You see, the world rages against us. Storms of doctrine blow. Teaching that's dead set, set against God. It's going to come and it's going to go. The culture says if we're not tolerant, we're not tolerant if we don't, if we don't believe that what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. It says we're not tolerant if we hold on to the truth. But the reality is, is that that's, that's got nothing to do with, with real tolerance. Tolerance is putting up with people who are wrong because you respect them as a creature put there by God, made in His image. We'll sincerely be wrong if we believe every wind of doctrine it's going to lead us astray. It's going to lead to the shipwreck of our lives. We're going to drown in the waves. We don't keep close to the one who's the truth. You see, Jesus, he is the one who walked. Remember the picture when he's, he sees his disciples out and a storm picks up. And so he's praying and he goes out and he walks across the water to his disciples in the midst of the storm. When he was asleep in the boat and a big storm came up. And the disciples were tossed all around. Jesus calmed the raging storms with a word. Storms of doctrine may rage, their winds might blow, but you know what? The one who is the way, the truth, and the life, he is our surety, he's our safety, he is the one we must stay close to. Just like Jesus calmed the physical storms, the one who's the truth, he won't let us be blown about if we're holding on to him in faith. In order to grow, we need to know the truth of who the Son of God is. And the second thing we're going to see from this verse is, is that God has given the gifts we need to grow up. God has given the gifts we need to grow up. Look in verses 11 and 12, and it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. If a parent didn't give a child the essentials, and provide for them essentials of food and water and shelter and clothing, the children would not grow as they were meant to, would not be loving. We are God's children now if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and repented of our sins, and He loves us. And so because He loves us, as our Father, He gives us everything that we need in order to grow. He he cares for us. 
He provides gifts to feed us and water us and provide the spiritual shelter that we need to grow. And He provides His body, the church, so we might be nourished and build each other up. And one of the primary ways it says in these verses that God feeds us and nourishes us is through the apostles and the prophets. And how are we given the gifts of the apostles and the prophets? What does that mean in this context? What is Paul saying? And really, what are the gifts of the apostles and prophets in this context? Well, we need to look at the the larger context of Ephesians in order to understand what is he talking about when he's talking about these gifts. So you can look back up in Ephesians 2. I've got it on the overheads for you this morning. Ephesians 2.19, Paul is telling us, he says, As members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, so we're members of the household of God, built on the foundation. What is that foundation? That's Scripture. On the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid in scripture. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We've been given the apostles and the the prophets who laid the foundation for us in scripture. With Jesus as the cornerstone that they wrote about. That everything was founded on. As we build our lives on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, we grow into a holy temple in the Lord. And so, what are these gifts that we have? It's the gifts of the apostles and the prophets who still live and speak today through Scripture. And their teaching is firmly built on the foundation of the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what our teaching is to be firmly built upon as well. That is the grounds for the truth that we need to speak. But we need the scriptures in order to be built up to grow into Christ. And notice there's other gifts that he tells us about that we're given. Paul tells us the gift of evangelists. What is an evangelist? It's somebody who carries out the work of the apostles by proclaiming the good news of the gospel. The apostles were, were messengers proclaiming the gospel. Evangelists take that gospel message and then proclaim it afresh. And we need people. We need to be a people who... Function that way. Who share the gospel. We need the gifts of evangelists in our church as well. We need evangelists to speak the truth and the news of Jesus Christ if we're to grow. In the New Testament context, an evangelist could be somebody who traveled and was engaged primarily in evangelism, but also included the work of somebody ministering the gospel to believers and unbelievers alike in the context of the local church. Because Paul told Timothy in a church, as a local church pastor, do the work of an evangelist. And it was in the context of a local congregation that he was to carry out his work. In this church, we need evangelists in order to grow. We need people who would be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to believers and unbelievers alike. Because every day we need the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if, if guys like Mario Russo or Steve, I don't know if they're evangelists, but I, I am thankful for men like that who are carrying out the work of evangelists in our church. I'm glad for the many folks in our church who have the gifts of an evangelist. If our church is to build built up, we need these gifts. And then Paul goes on to say, we also need the pastors and teachers in the local church to grow up as well. God's called men to His local body who are gifted to care for and oversee the affairs of the church to lead through nurturing the church in His Word. Why is he talking about these gifts in the midst of saying that everybody has a gift, everybody has to do their part? And we need to all speak the truth in love to each other. Why is he talking about these gifts? Well, because these gifts are uniquely tied to speaking the truth. They are truth-telling gifts. 
They're based on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the truth of the scripture, the truth of who Jesus is. And then these gifts of evangelists telling the truth of the gospel, pastors and teachers teaching and admonishing with the truth. And so really this whole passage is all about proclaiming the word of truth and being built up in truth. To be clear, all pastors must be teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. There's many gifts of teachers in the church and there's different levels of gifting in the church as well. There's those who are gifted in teaching children, those who are gifted in, in explaining scriptures to large groups. There's those who are gifted in teaching in small groups and those who are gifted in teaching in a new members class and those who are gifted in helping a group of people go through something like Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. We, we need all different kinds of gifts like that and I would encourage you if God's given you a teaching gift. Don't, you don't have to look for some formal role. Just start helping teach people. Speak the truth in love. Build the body up. In the context of this passage, all these gifts are listed because they all have to do with equipping the body to speak the truth in love. The whole body is built up and grows into mature manhood, a mature body of Christ. And so he gives us these specific gifts, but not because they're limited to these gifts, but because he wants us to get the idea that this is all about speaking the truth of who God is, who Jesus is, the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the faith in love. And then he, that's what each and every one of us are to do as well. He doesn't stop by saying that. He says, no, we need every member. He says, the saints are the ones who are equipped to be ministers. The saints are the ones who are equipped to speak the truth. And that, that's the work of ministry. That's the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so it says when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. If you are a part of this church, God has given you as a gift to this church to build this church up, to speak the truth in love, and every member, every one of you to do your part in your own way to encourage and build up one another in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. In verse 15, Paul explains how we do that. So the third and final thing we'll see is that God causes us to grow by speaking the truth in love. God causes us to grow by speaking the truth in love. As Christians, we need to be planted in the soil of the word of Christ and watered with the, the right amount of truth in love in order to grow. Speaking the truth in love, Paul is saying it's crucial it's crucial to our growth as Christians. It's crucial if we're going to be successfully carrying out our mission as a church. It's crucial to our disciple making. It's crucial if we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We must speak the truth and not shy away from the truth, not back away from it when it's difficult. We can't avoid the truth when we're viewed for being intolerant for holding to the truth. That actually would be unloving unloving to compromise on the truth yes jesus called people to repent to believe and why did he do that because he loved them jesus ate with sinners he ate with prostitutes he ate with tax collectors he ate with people who were on the outskirts of society but he spoke truth to them He spoke truth to them about who they were. And he spoke truth to them about who he is. And he told them to repent and believe. Why? Because he loved them. So what does Paul mean when he talks about speaking the truth in love? Does this mean telling the truth and being honest? 
Have you ever done that before? You're just, you're just kind of unloading? And it's actually more because you're, you're getting rid of a burden you have than you're actually really trying to care for anybody else. You're just getting something off your chest because it's bothering you. You ever done that before? And you do that, guys, well, I'm just being honest. Yeah, you're just being a jerk. I've done that far too many times. Paul's not saying just be truthful and then you'll grow and be mature because being honest doesn't make you mature in Christ. That's not what he's saying. There's many who are honestly unbelievers. There's many who are honest about their lack of faith and that doesn't make them mature in the knowledge of the Son of God and the unity of the faith. So that can't be what Paul's talking about here. It's not just mere honesty. Although honesty is good. We're not trying to discourage that. But we're to speak the truth in love. It's not all about being honest in the sense of just unloading what we think. He's imploring them to be part of a church. It's in the context of a false teaching. There's dangers all around us. We're being blown about by every wind of doctrine. So he's not talking about just being truthful in general. He's talking about a body of believers that teaches each other the word. A body of believers that ministers the word to each other. A body of believers that loves each other so much that they speak into each other's lives words of encouragement, words of hope from the Bible, from the gospel, words of truth based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he's done in our lives and how he's changed me so I'm confident he's going to change you as well. That is what it means to speak the truth in love. It means each one of us being ministers of the word, speaking the truth about life, the truth about our circumstances. Why? Because we lose perspective. Speaking the truth about who God is from scriptures. Encouraging each other when we need it. And then even then, we're not just called to speak the truth, we're called to do that in love. In verse 2 of our chapter, if you went all the way back, if you flip down your Bible there in, in chapter 4, verse 2, it says... We're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And, and, and he gives us some guidance for that. He says, it's by our bearing with one, or one another in love. You see, our walking in a manner worthy of the calling, it's, it's guided by our bearing with one another in love. Our entire Christian walk is to be lived out in love. And notice that the truth and love here, they're not in conflict. We're to speak the truth in love. It means that it's not loving if we don't speak the truth. It also means that any speaking of the truth has to be done with a motivation of love. Living a life of love means embodying the truth of the gospel, not only in our lives and our speech, but in how we say things. That's terribly convicting, isn't it? I know that, you know, yesterday, I guess it was yesterday or Friday, maybe it was Friday, I was preparing for a message and I was interacting with my wife and I was impatient and, and I spoke the truth, but I didn't speak the truth lovingly. I spoke the truth in in a manner that was condescending, and it was proud. And we're all guilty of that kind of speaking. That doesn't build a body up. It doesn't build my wife up. It doesn't build us up in love. It's speaking the truth in love with the motivation to love. Ask yourself first, I'm about to speak truth. I think this person needs to hear my truth. Is my motivation love? Am I wanting to love them like Christ has loved me? Because he's helped me, and I want to help show them the truth so that they can encounter God. They can, they can grow in their depth of the knowledge of the Son of God and the unity of the faith. I want to help them be mature because I love them. Not because they annoy me. Not because they bother me or inconvenience. It's not just pointing out errors in somebody else's life. This is speaking lovingly to one another. 
We need to be a body that speaks the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that waters each other, that feeds each other on the, on the truth of who Jesus is. And we bring scriptures to areas like body image. I guarantee that every woman in here at some point in their life has at one point at least struggled to some degree with questions about body image. How do we help each other when those questions come up? Speak the truth in love. Every, every man in here to some degree has struggled with varying forms and degrees of pride. Self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. Now, I'm not saying there's unique sins to either women or men. That, that's by no means. I'm just giving you examples. What do we do when we encounter those things in each other? Do we speak badly about each other? Do we talk ill? Do we say, oh my gosh, they're just such a mess. I can't even go near them. No, we're, we're to speak the truth in love. We need to see ourselves as agents of truth. Agents of truth. Now, not the CIA, but um, his agents, his emissaries, his, his sent out ones who speak the truth out of a motive of love and in a loving manner. We speak the truth of the gospel when we struggle with looking for fulfillment and peace and hope outside of Christ. You ever struggle with ideas of fulfillment or hope? Confidence? What do we need at those moments? We need to speak the truth and love to each other. When you're suffering, when you're going through trials, when you're going through hardships, when you're feeling all alone, you need to hear the truth spoken in love to minister to you like fresh water in the desert. As if agents of truth, the truth of Jesus, we need to lovingly consider the effects of the truth on others too. Lovingly and carefully minister the truth and in a way that they can bear. Think about how is this going to come across to them? How are they going to perceive this? Is this loving? Are they going to see this as loving? How do I communicate my love to them? And how do they see that I'm speaking the truth to them in love for their good because I love them? So Paul says that through speaking the truth in love in every way we grow up into Christ in our knowledge, in our unity, in our love for one another in every way, in every way. In every way would it grow up in the Christ, in our knowledge, in our unity, in our love for one another, in our actions, in our words, as we know and apply the word of truth to every areas of our lives. Look in verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, each and every one of you has a part in the ministry of the gospel. Each and every one of us has a part in speaking the truth in love. It says, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And the imagery that Paul is using here is it's very connected body imagery. Don't skip over that. There's some implications here. There's some inferences here. When Paul is giving this, this very connected body imagery, what he's talking about is the body is to be joined together. You can't be an independent Christian. You're meant to be joined together and every part being held together by the joints or ligaments. And in this context, those joints and ligaments are those those things that bind us together in the truth, the apostles and the prophets, the pastors and evangelists and the teachers, those are the joints, but every part of the body has to do the work. Once you notice something, every part is important in making the body grow. Every part's needed. Everybody has to be working properly. You can't coast as a member of this body without affecting this body. I'll say that again. You cannot coast as a member of this body in your Christian walk and think that you don't affect this whole body. 
Don't say that to condemn you, but I say that because God's called you to a high purpose and a high calling. He doesn't intend for any one of us to coast. He intends for us to be rooted and grounded in love and in loving Him through loving His Word. And it's as we are grounded in His Word and loving Him that we're going to cause the rest of the body to grow up. So it's important how we function, whether we're functioning as members of this body. What you do in your personal life, what you pursue what truth you apply, what truth you speak, it makes a difference. There's no such thing as a Christian whose life doesn't affect another believer in some way. When I smash my thumb, it's a very small member of the body, but oh my, it hurts. Your brain is blowing up and saying, ah! Every member of the body feels it. When one member experiences pain, when one member is hurting, this passage is implying something. It's implying a close, connected body kind of life. It's not disconnected. It's not disjointed. Maybe you're coming and you haven't connected. Let me encourage you. Connect. Speak the truth in love. See yourself as ministers put here to build the church up. The implication is members of the body are in enough relationship together that they know each other as well. You see, there's no way that you're going to be able to speak the truth and love to somebody else around you unless you know them. Why? Because you won't know what it looks like to love them. You won't know what they need. You won't, you won't understand how you're coming across. You won't understand their unique temptations and struggles. Now, you don't always have to have that depth of knowledge in order to speak the truth in love. But this is a context of a body ministry. And so the implication here is that we're part of the body. We know the body. Work together so that we, we have the context to share the truth and speak the truth in love. The kind of body that knows the needs and hurts and strengths and weaknesses of each other. The kind of body that's not limited to just mere knowledge and recognizing somebody on Sunday morning. Must be loving community, loving relationships that are fostered and cultivated and pursued. So when you're thinking, it's not that big of a deal that I, I don't go to small group. It's not that big of a deal that I don't come to church on Sunday morning. It's not that big of a deal that I don't make an effort to pursue growing together with other believers. It's not that big of a deal that I don't have hospitality. It's not that big of a deal that I don't get together with other believers. You're dead wrong. We're called to be a body. A loving community. And that takes work. It takes effort. It takes building up. It takes speaking. It takes cultivating loving relationships and pursuing them. It's not easy, but oh, is it good. And God builds us up. And we grow. And sometimes it's painful. But this is a picture of an others-focused body. A body that's not seeking to build only each individual member up. It's seeking to build each other up. This is the kind of church that says, I am here for everyone else in this room because God is giving me gifts and talents and abilities that I need to give away because Jesus gave his life away to me and I want to love him in return. This is a place where we don't primarily seek to use our own gifts to serve each other. We serve, use our gifts to serve one another, to know each other, to love each other, to minister to each other. It's a body where each part works. It says when each part is working properly, 
That's what it means. That's what it's talking about. So in light of the truth of this passage and the obvious implications of this passage, I want us to ask ourselves, are, are, we, are we seeking to do this kind of body ministry? Not a condemnation, but the joy that can come as we grow in our knowledge of God through this. As we grow in our affection, our love for God and our unity of faith, how by being connected by serving in the body, by doing this kind of body ministry. You know, our church can't create enough formal programs for everybody to be involved in official formal church ministry. But let me just dispel any notions. There are more than enough ministry needs in this church. There are more than enough ways for everybody to be involved in ministering to each other. But you've got to get involved. You've got to plug in. You've got you to look for those ways. Every member has to do their part. The work of the body happens together. This kind of ministry doesn't occur alone, but it can occur everywhere. It can't occur anywhere. It can occur when you're having another person over for a cup of coffee and you're just sharing your life with them. And they share and speak the truth to you and you speak the truth into their lives and you love them that way. It can occur with you asking a bunch of guys, you know what, hey, I'm really weak in this area and I don't know much about Scripture. Can you help me learn? Let's get together and study Scripture. Let's use that Bible study from Ephesians on 10 parts. There's 10-part Bible study in Ephesians. Let's, the five of us get together once every two weeks and let's build each other up in love. Maybe it's young moms having other moms over so that they can encourage each other and not just talk about how to diaper better, but how to... How to love God more and grow in Him. In Acts, think about it. How did the church grow? Well, it grew because, of course, God caused it to grow. But there were some, some other things that were happening. It grew through the body building itself up in love. In Acts 2, it, it gives us a picture. We're not going to go into depth, but Acts 2.42, it talks about how the church did things together. They devoted themselves together to the apostles' teaching. They ate together. They met together from house to house. They did life together. They shared their Jesus-transformed lives then with everybody they encountered. They ministered together. They, they spoke the truth in love to a watching world. And God caused the church to grow as they built themselves up in love. They were passionate about speaking the truth in love together because they were passionate about Jesus. If you're not passionate about Jesus, grab somebody else this morning and say... I need you to help me. I want to be more passionate about Jesus this morning. I need you to help me. Speak the truth and love to me. As these parts working, the body grows. And let me ask the question, do you see yourself as a minister? Do you see yourselves as being called to this kind of body ministry? Are you giving yourself to this kind of body ministry um, in our own homes with our, our wives, our, our, our husband, our, our children, our, our workplaces, in our school, grocery stores, in our favorite coffee shop, in the gym, wherever you go, are you looking to be ministers of the truth and are you seeking to, to share the truth in love? We have the opportunity to minister the truth. But this is not just general truth. This is the truth of who Jesus is. This is the one. Who, who is the truth? The one who made everything. The one who came and died in our place for dirty, rotten scoundrels like you and me. The one who makes dead people alive in Him. 
The one who has power over all things, things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The one who holds the universe up by the word of his power. The one who is full of grace and truth and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. And we have the ability to tell the truth of who he is. So other people might turn to him, repent and trust in him and believe. We have the tamer of the storms that we get to share. The conqueror of death and hell. We have the one who has Satan on a short leash. The one who gives hope and joy and peace. And the question is, are we ministering the truth of Christ, who is the truth? Or are you giving people around you a weak, feeble, meager imitation of the truth that doesn't satisfy? Doesn't save? We're not just to grow up. It says we're to go up into Christ. We want to hear His voice. Don't you want to know Jesus more? That happens as we build each other up in love in the context of the body. I want to hear His voice. I want to hear His direction. I want to know His care as He speaks to the members of the body. I want to, I want to grow in my knowledge of Him. And, and Paul talks about this kind of growth and how does it occur. He says that we're to grow up into Him who is the head and You know, a body functions at the direction of the head and the body functions best when every part is seamlessly coordinated by the head and a hand doesn't receive the same command that a foot does. You know, the head doesn't say, grab a glass to the foot. It does to the hand. It also doesn't say to the hand, okay, carry the full weight of the body for a few miles as you walk. But in order for the body to function together, they must all independently be listening to the commands of the head and functioning together in that. Do you see that your gifts are given precisely to build up the body? Do you see that your gifts are for that purpose and are you using your gifts that way? Is the goal of your ministry to build up the body lovingly? Speaking the truth in love builds the body up. Are you you building... Up one another? Are you doing harm to the body through tearing each other down? Think about how you speak to others in the body. Are you speaking about the truth of who they are in Jesus? Or are you just kind of being honest about how bad they are? If you're engaged in small words and acts that tear down the body, doesn't that doesn't seem to be counterproductive? If I'm constantly hitting my thumb with a hammer, that that doesn't make any sense. And yet we hammer each other at times in the body, not seeking to build one another up in love through the truth. You wonder what your purpose is as a part of this body? What's my purpose? You ever felt that? You ever had that question? You've been given a great purpose. You've been called and uniquely gifted to be a part of God's great plan to call a people to himself. And it's a glorious purpose to be a church member, an ordinary church member, whatever that means. What a great and glorious purpose that is. To be an ordinary church member, sharing your ordinary gifts. All of us have just ordinary gifts. And you're sharing your gifts to build the body up in love. And what a wonderful purpose it is. Why? Because the church is the place that God reveals His purposes in the world. The church is the place where He reveals the mysteries hidden for ages. The church is the place where He calls people to Him. We're called to be agents of His truth in the church. We're on a mission to help others abide in His Word and know the truth of the Son of God so we might grow. And every day we have a chance to speak the truth and love to each other. 
If, if you found that you've, you've not been pursuing this kind of every member ministry, if you felt that you've, you've not been obedient and you've experienced conviction this morning, that's good. Don't let that result in condemnation. Let that re- result in repentance saying, God, forgive me for, for having a laissez-faire kind of attitude to the church. And then receive His forgiveness. It says, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and make you clean from all unrighteousness. And then go out in faith knowing that He's equipped you and given you gifts. And He's going to enable you to use them for the encouragement of the body. He saved you by grace. He's gifted you by grace. He's going to build you up by grace as you put your faith in Him. So it's not just about our self-efforts. This is about Jesus making us grow as we build each other up in love. So his, his goal was both the body's growth and the, he's also the source of the body's growth. He gives gifts to the body that it needs to grow, then he makes the body grow as it builds itself up in love. Go ahead and ask the band to come forward and if you stand for a moment, please. What is the motivation for us to do this? What's the motivation for us to speak the truth and love and build the body up? Why is this such a big deal? It's such a big deal because God has saved us by His grace. He's called us to Himself when we weren't seeking Him, when we weren't righteous on our own. And He's made us His own. And He's redeemed us and He's given us a glorious purpose to glorify Him in everything that we do. And He's called us to His own people where once we could never be a part of His people. He's loved us with an undying love. And He says, I want you to take the love that I've given to you and I want you to share that love. I want you to share that love by speaking the truth with the people around you so they can be changed by me and by my grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray that you would enable us to respond to your word. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us that you have given each and every one of us gifts of your grace. That this is not about legalism. It's not about self-effort. It's not about earning favor before you, Lord. But it's about saying thank you for giving us your gracious gifts and responding to you. Father, I pray that you would give us faith to be ministers of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.